0: And I'm Beth, welcome to Thief Steals the Podcast, where I steal the podcast and I steal it back. Okay, today we
1: are talking about the first episode of the fourth season, we've finally reached it, the long way down, John.
0: Beth, what did you think? I think that it is so fucking funny that I managed to get spoilers for the next episode we were going to watch.
1: Yeah, you were like, I think it's (laughs) them on a
0: mountain, I'm like, hmm, there's two mountain episodes and you've already seen one. Yeah. (laughs) So... I cannot believe... But also, I was bang on. It was 100% Elliot and Parker. I'm so proud Mm. of myself for picking that from one, like, sort of poorly loaded gif. Like, Mm. I...
1: Also, considering in this episode, Parker and Elliot
0: spend the entire time in those massive puffer jackets with, like, the hoods up and the mask on, like... That's why I didn't realise it was leverage when I was first scrolling, because I didn't recognise them. And it was only when I was like, wait a minute, that I was like, oh my god, is that... And then I was like, shit, I shouldn't find out. And I just kept on scrolling. But I am shocked that it just happened to coincide like that that was the universe mm. like the timing was beautiful yeah. but also i'm very impressed with myself and also like i i here's the thing i want to be excited that i ended up guessing the like basically yeah. like a very not quite exact like prediction of this plot but also, I don't think I really get to credit myself because I did get spoiled. <laughs> so, like, I basically was like, I saw a gift set about this episode, and I think that's probably what the episode is about, even mm-hmm. though I didn't know. But you anyway, were like,
1: I saw a gift set that could theoretically come under the title that I've just been given. Yeah.
0: So, uh, like, I'm very excited for myself, but also I'm like, damn it.
1: (laughs) Only like a quarter of a point for this one. Yeah,
0: which is a bummer, but like, hey. Like, you connected the
1: dots, but you did get given an extra dot to connect.
0: Exactly. It's still not zero. Like, it's still like an extra 0.25. Like, it's pretty all right. Hmm. Anyway, but the episode in general. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Is there a, like... Oh, fuck. I don't... There are so many different facets of this episode. I Mm -hmm. really, truly am struggling to isolate where I want to start. Because I think that there are so many, like, just... There are so many conversations that we could really fall down the rabbit hole of. And maybe I'll just list the ones that I'm thinking on the top of my head, right? Yeah. Obviously... First of all, the thing that stands out for me most in this episode is the scene with Parker and Elliot, where Parker has her moment where she says, I want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Like that little speech. I wouldn't necessarily call it a monologue. It's only a couple of lines. But that moment is pivotal and so like, like we'll talk about it. So there's that. There is also the response we get to that from Elliot a few scenes later, which I think is also really interesting and important for both of their characters, as well as the dynamic of the the team. team. We have Sophie running fucking, I think I counted five simultaneous cons in yeah. one room. She's one just having them. the blast. Like, Grifter she, Christ Christmas, one yeah. million percent. She is kicking it in the ass. And, like, she's impeccable. And, like, that is just amazing. Mm-hmm. We have Nate kind of relapsing. Like, he's not, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like drunk Nate without him drinking. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's like... It's a it's a
1: little bit of, like, a touch base with Nate. and a, He's not so much drinking anymore, but he has stopped. Yeah. Like, he has stopped again. Like, through the third season, his drinking's not really a focus, but we sort of see that he is still drinking, just not to the same extent as mm-hmm. he had been in the first two seasons.
0: Yeah. And also, Hardison. My baby boy, Hardison. I love him so much. And, like, through this episode... It's really interesting because he functions primarily, I think, as comic relief through a lot of this episode. Because the other team members are going through some pretty either stressful or Mm -hmm. real. I mean, not the Hardison's not stressed, he's very stressed. But like, they are going through particularly pivotal moments or like more emotionally vulnerable moments. Hardison is really fascinating because he functions primarily as comedic relief, but also has these quite vulnerable moments, specifically in this episode tied to Parker. Yes. And I want to talk about that as well. Mm -hmm. So, fuck, I – look, any of those places – See, because none of those places are actually where I thought you'd want to
1: start. Really? Yeah, so where I thought that you might want to start and touch base on is the fact that we've got the setup for our overarching plot this season. Oh, my
0: God, yeah. That also, fuck, I for- see so much happens this episode that I fucking forgot about that. Yep, so this one's My not- last note is literally, what a setup for the season. <laughs> this season,
1: I don't think it's a spoiler to say. Them getting bugged is not like a set and forget sort of thing. Like, no. we will get touch bases. We will learn about sort of what's happening there. Do you have any mm-hmm. theories going forward? So they they threw out a couple of names of who it could potentially be. Yeah, basically
0: literally anyone from the first three seasons. <laughs> yeah. They, they call out <laughs>
1: Sterling Stark, basically Nate's father, Jimmy Ford, the Irish mob, any one of the dozen millionaires yeah. they've blackmailed essentially yeah. at this point. Do you have any theories about, like, maybe who's bugging them Okay. Or,
0: I am not 100% sure mm. on anything. Obviously, I have very limited information. However, what I thought was really interesting about what they included in this scene where they find the bug and they're talking mm. about it is they specify that Hardison swept the place. Yeah. And then Hardison says, yeah, I did sweep the place. They're using, and I can't remember exactly how he described the tech, but he's like, yeah. they're using the same tech that I use that is like undetectable by other tech, obviously, like, that's the implication. It's, like, the reason he couldn't find it was because it's unfindable and that's why he uses it. And so my thought is that potentially whatever is going down might involve chaos. Yeah. Because he's the only person that we've seen who has come up as, like, a possible match to Hardison, Mm. right? And so, like, that is interesting. I'm also going to posit that, like, if we're looking at more – Like, last season, right, was, like, a a lot of Elliot stuff, Mm -hmm. a lot of... And because it's Elliot stuff, a lot of physical stuff, right? It would be really interesting if they then swapped this season to go into sort of the other direction and do more, like, less physical stuff, more, like, hacker stuff, I guess. Like, what Artisan is doing. And so if there's going to be a focus on tech rather than grit, per se, Mm. this season, this would be a really interesting kicker. And then it does open up, like... For chaos to come back, but also that is really the only thought that I have specifically at the moment. And even in saying that, like we, I mean, to be fair, they recently reminded us of chaos. Back yeah. in the Ho 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 job. So it's totally plausible that that is intentionally to remind the audience, yeah. like, hey, remember this guy?
1: And also remember, like, chaos is currently in prison. But well, well, that's what got, I was just going to say he got out of prison the first mm. time. Like, there's a reason he appeared in the ho 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 job, and that's exactly got out of prison and he has, doesn't that episode have the iconic line of, you can break out of federal prison. You should fucking know that you
0: did it. Yeah, exactly. But also he has like a reason to want Mm. to take them down. And so it does make me wonder if maybe this is a way for them to bring sort of chaos more to the forefront. Although he doesn't feel, I mean, he doesn't feel like a character who's designed to be a main character. Yeah. So like, I don't know if that makes sense, but like, I don't know another way to explain it. So I'm not, basically I have no really formed thoughts, but I that was the only thing that it did trigger for me was that the only person we've seen to match Hardison is Chaos. It would make sense because we know that Hardison, like last episode we had Chaos, he stole Hardison's tech, like being the gun. Like it would make sense that he would try to use Hardison's tech against him. Yeah. You know, because Hardison isn't looking for his own tech. So basically your theory
1: is it's somebody who knows Hardison really well and the person that most exemplifies that for you is Chaos.
0: Yeah, I think so. Or, like, not even necessarily... But, like, knows his
1: methods and his tech and that sort of stuff.
0: Exactly. Like, someone who is in a position to tactically exploit Hardison. Someone who's done their background and their research on Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because they would have to to get around. Like, so much of... We've talked about before. Hardison is so good. Yeah, and we've talked about before how, like, so much of how the team accomplishes what they accomplish is fully because of hardison Mm -hmm. like it's because he's created these background aliases for them aliases for them it's because he has done all this work because he spends his days off making them fucking costumes and shit you know like and badges and like whatever else it's sort of like
1: nate draws the architectural plans and then he gives them to hardison who then pours the slab artisan's work is the foundation of everything everyone else does yeah and then sophie's like set dressing you know yeah. and sophie's like the walls she's the frames you know that sort of stuff elliot's like the roof he's protecting everything else mm-hmm. and so and parker Parker's is the air conditioning because
0: yeah. she likes air and fence exactly yeah. <laughs> that's, he, that's basically exactly what i was about to say exactly but, and so like the thing is that if you like if if i were a a villain against this crew, I would look to take out Hardison. Yes. Because without Hardison, everyone else is immediately more vulnerable because they do not have the strength of all of these really Mm -hmm. like solidly crafted aliases. Mm -hmm. They don't have access to things like the security cameras, the comms that they use to communicate between themselves. All of these things completely fucked because Mm -hmm. if anything goes wrong with any of that, They don't have a way to fix it. Like, Hardison is their way of fixing it. Hardison is their way to fix it. And I think that because so much of his character, and this partially is just because Alice Hodge is literally hilarious, but, like, so much of Hardison is often used as comic relief. Yeah. And, like, even in, you know, last season we had the whole bit where he gets pushed in the pool and he's drowning Mm -hmm. and, like, he comes back out and it's a comedy bit. Like, he nearly fucking died. But he's just that good. You know? And so... I think that it's really easy to discount him mm. and to not think of him as as valuable as the rest of the team. I think the other thing that's really interesting
1: about Aldous Hodge's character and sort of how he plays Hardison is just simply the fact that, he, yeah, he is comic relief, but also he is the most foundational member of the team. He is the stability at the base of the team. Mm-hmm. Like, without Hardison, they're stabilising the rest of the team Nothing happens. He
0: is, like, the heart of the team. They even highlight in this episode, like, Elliot and Parker are talking about, like, you know, how Sophie and Nate and Hardison would do the right thing. And Elliot specifically says, especially Hardison would not want to leave him here. And I think it's so telling that they isolate Hardison Mm -hmm. in that moment. Because, yeah, like, you're right. He does function as the foundation, not only of the cons Mm -hmm. they run, but also of their crude like yeah. as a group he is the one who was the first to breach those boundaries of colleagues to friends yes. he was the one who was like you know bring it in like you yeah. know and like made those familial connections he was the one forging those paths. Mm. everyone else was on a much more business you know level whereas he was like no no we're friends now and that happened much quicker with him than anyone else and that is so integral to the way that their crew functions now
1: and what's so interesting though is they've sort of subverted the normal trope because normally the comic relief is flatty unreliable sort of all over the place they're the comic relief because they're weird and wacky so it's really interesting that they've taken this opportunity to go Hardison as a character, functions as, as the heart of the group. Mm. But also Addis Hodge is a fantastic comedic actor mm-hmm. and he's also going to be the comedy relief. Yeah. Um. It just, it also means that like tactically it's really smart because a lot of people underestimate Hardison. Yeah, exactly. We saw it last episode in the San Lorenzo job.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Nate mm-hmm. literally has the line, I had a 24-year-old with a smartphone and a problem with authority, you never stood a chance.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: more row... Underestimated Hardison specifically, like the entire team as a whole, but Hardison,
0: yeah, specifically, specifically. and also like what is so fucking fascinating about this is that up until this point, like we talk in depth about leverage, like that's why we're here, right? And what is interesting is I've never really thought about Hardison's like the integrity of hardison within the crew to this level but like now i'm thinking about even coming down to like what they have used as their bases through the seasons hardison set those up hardison organized their hub like he set up the offices and he chose when he blew them up he Mm -hmm. chose like nate obviously chose his apartment but hardison bought the fucking building hardison turned that into their Hardison is
1: the one who said, look, instead of getting actual offices again, we're just going to work out in Nate's apartment.
0: Yeah, he Hardison, made
1: that choice. Hardison could have chose to set up their offices anywhere in the city. Mm-hmm. But he was like, you know what? Nate is also a foundational member of this team. And without Nate, we don't really have,
0: mm-hmm. like, the
1: team functions, but not quite as well. We need Nate. The easiest way to make sure we get
0: Nate is to literally set send it, send it up in his home. Yeah, and I, I mean, we see it in the beginning of season two. Like, they all kind of need Nate, but I think they all recognize Nate also needs them. Mm -hmm. And so, like, looking at it from the perspective of, like, Hardison was the first one to really forge those familial paths, I think it's also, like, I'm going to place myself here so that I can keep an eye on Nate and make sure he's good. Because of the team, Nate is the most unstable. Yeah, he's
1: the most volatile for sure. Like, if we're ranking him from most to least stable, most stable is Hardison, least stable is Nate. Easily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I think you've probably, if you're going from most to least stable, you've got Hardison, Elliot. Sophie, Parker,
0: no. Yeah, I would agree. I think that – I I think you could argue to alternate Sophie and Parker a little bit, mm. depending on where we're at and, like, yeah. what the context I is. I think – near
1: yeah, like, as we're going through the season, they flip. I think it starts with Parker being more flighty than Sophie – and then at one point they flip and Sophie mm-hmm. becomes more flighty. Personally. I guess I'm
0: just thinking about, like, having relatively recently watched season two. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm thinking about that in the context of Sophie and, like, commitment and, yeah. like, blah, blah, blah. But, like, obviously things have changed since then. But, yeah, no, it's it's super-duper interesting. And I think that Hardest in this episode – oh, fuck, I just love him. And I think that – I think his character is really, really well fleshed out. And I think that Aldous Hodge plays him phenomenally. And I think that – there's just so much going on with him, but you don't necessarily realise it unless you're, like, really thinking about it. And, like, oh my god. I, this is such a completely different note. I'm, like, 180-ing it. It's still yeah. partisan, but I'm, like, 180-ing it. I fucking love that he brought his funky little scarf all the way up that fucking mountain. Yeah. Like, he's got this... <laughs> It's such a it's such a statement piece scarf. Yeah. Like everything else that everyone has is purely functional. No one else is like except Sophie obviously, but it's part of her role. Yeah. Is like dressing to look good. Everyone else is dressing for survival. Hardison, no, no. He's gonna accessorize. And I love it. While we are talking about sort of the team's growth, I
1: do wanna just like look at a moment in this episode really quickly, because mm-hmm. I think it's actually a really pivotal moment. Mm-hmm. We have the scene and Nate goes, let's go still a mountain. Parker goes Again, Mm -hmm. and basically it's implied Nate was so drunk during the snow job, which you fucking hated, Mm -hmm. uh, because Nate was so drunk that he physically does not remember that they've already done that. Done that. Yeah. So it's such a little like attention to detail moment of like, Nate actually has forgotten large chunks of mm-hmm. what the team has done because he, especially in the first season, was drunk to the point of blacking out essentially yeah um which really then means that when we get sort of the speech from Nate later on, it's more impactful, and we can really see like they're they're connecting the dots like they're actually setting you up to remember just how bad Nate was in that first season, yeah. And I think it's also really interesting that Park is the one who remembers. Yeah. Park is the one who calls him out on it. Park is the one who says, no, we've already done this. Mm-hmm. Like, just as somebody who needs that structure, who needs that, like, you know, organization, that system, that, mm-hmm. you know, routine of every job has a... Catchphrase. Catchphrase. Every yeah. job has a, let's go, you know, steal a country. Let's go steal the Department of Defense. Like, mm-hmm. let's go steal this, that, the other. Yeah. Yeah. Parker's the one who sort of gets the most comfort out of that and that routine Mm -hmm. but also Parker's the one who notices when
0: something is slightly ajar yeah and I love that not only does Parker like obviously remember that she also calls Nate out on that Mm. I like that Nate stops to listen Mm. because I think there was a time where he wouldn't have yeah so I appreciate that not only are they drawing attention to the fact that Nate has come so far with like his drinking obviously and like you know they're highlighting Remember how bad that was? Look at him now. And I think that it's also interesting in highlighting the way that his attitude towards the people around him has shifted along with that journey. I also love that Hardison immediately backs her up by saying, Yeah, you were really drunk for that. Yeah. Like, I like that because Nate questions Parker and he's like, Did we? Like, really? And then Hardison is immediately like, Yeah but you were probably too drunk to remember, essentially. And so, like, I like that he is both backing up Parker and also, like, calling Nate out at, like, a simultaneous point. I like it a lot. Though,
1: while we are talking about that, I do think we do need to talk about – I know you're not the biggest fan of Nate, but we do need to have to talk about the Nate stuff in this episode. Yeah, there's a lot of it. And I am, like, honestly shocked by your self-control. I am – I'm surprised that you haven't already said, wow, Nate was really Sam-coded in this one, and wow, Parker was really Cass-coded in this one. Because that entire speech about being angry instead of grieving... Oh, yeah. You could give Sam those lines and it wouldn't be out of place.
0: You absolutely,
1: you absolutely could. It's actually... The only reason it would be out of place is Sam has not reached that level of emotional maturity yet. (laughs)
0: Here's the thing. I, it's actually not what I was thinking when I was watching that scene. I was thinking about a very specific arc of Dean's to do with grief and to do with anger. Mm. Uh, late seasons, we're years from it. Yeah. So See, I, that's why I thought Sam, you thought Dean. Yeah. Because Dean is your blue boy. Well, but, also because where we're at yeah. um, in this particular instance, like we're much closer to Sam's anger and, yeah. you know, that sort of arc for him, whereas I'm thinking, like, later down the track yeah so it, it was it's very like season one sam if season one sam was actually like emotionally mature. <laughs> it's so funny that you talk about the season one of supernatural because one note i did have about this episode was i was like wow is this just supernatural season one episode two wendigo like i was like hang on without minute. the racism though without the inherent racism and the call that terrible yeah. thing yes big caveat there big yikes but No, we had, we literally had, like, the satellite phone, like, recorded message before the loved one disappears. We had the, uh, spunky female character who's determined to go with them. We had the reference to park rangers. Mm -hmm. Like, we had, we had all these things. And I was like, is this just, (laughs) is this just Wendigo? Like, what is happening here? Uh, it was wild. It was wild. Anyway, back to, uh, not Ellie, back to
1: Nate in this episode. He says, it's never fair. You don't get fair. You don't get closure. Mm. The anger feels better than the grief. The anger gets you up, gets gets me going in the morning. Eventually, you run into something your anger can't beat. Your luck has run out and it's a long way down. Yeah. There is obviously, I've abridged that slightly for the sake of time. You know exactly, if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you know exactly what monologue I am talking about. But it's just, it's fascinating because I think it's the first time we've actually really seen Nate reflect on sort of what's happened And how far he's come and actually acknowledge that a lot of his actions in the past three seasons have been primarily driven by anger. Yeah. And not just driven by grief. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important distinction to point out
0: that, like, yeah, no, he was basically running on his anger. I think that it's almost as if – because – You're 100% correct, like, blanket statement, like, yes. But I think what is really interesting is that because anger is one of the stages of grief, it's almost like he was going through the stages and he just got stuck. Yeah. Like, he just got stuck there, you know? And so it becomes one of these interesting things where, like, yeah, he says that the grief... Like, I've learned that the anger is good better than the grief. And I fully understand that. Like, there have been times where I've been upset And it's so much easier and it feels more – it feels better to be angry because that feels like you're – it feels momentous. Like, it feels like you are moving towards something when you're angry, whereas when you're just upset – you feel like you're stuck. It feels like you're sitting still. And that just doesn't feel productive. If you're angry and, you know, you use that to get yourself through a situation, that feels like you're achieving something, even though you're not. Like, you know, in these situations, you're often so volatile that, like, you're not achieving anything, which is very clear Mm -hmm. with Nate, particularly through the earlier seasons of leverage. But it's fascinating to me to hear him put voice to that because as he was saying it, I was like, this is... Very poignant, actually.
1: And I think it's also really interesting that none of the rest of the team knows that he said any of this. Yeah, because, because as the cons he says are it, out. The cons yeah. are out because he's above the cutoff line and the
0: signal's just not strong enough to really hold any sort of signal. Uh-huh. So I actually like that they didn't hear him say that. Hmm. And my reasoning for that is that it means that he is saying it out of it being genuinely what he believes and not it being him saying something for their benefit. Yeah. Because you know how, like, I think I can't think of an exact example, but I'm sure somewhere in the first season or two, he said stuff along the lines of like, you know, I'm coping or like blah 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 for their benefit while fully being like, no, I'm not. Like he was lying to them at face value to make them feel better. Yeah. But here he's it's, not he's not saying this to make them feel better. He's just saying it because it's true. Yeah. He's showing He's Karen, talking to Karen,
1: mm-hmm. he's relating to Karen, he's trying to help her. But also this speech doesn't work unless there is actual genuine vulnerability behind it. Yeah. It just
2: doesn't. Mm-hmm.
0: And okay. I, I love that he acknowledges that even though the anger feels good, it's not. I yeah. like that he acknowledges that it's it will get him in trouble over and over and over again. Yeah. And he is right. And I like that we have that verbal acknowledgement from Nate because I think Nate is a really interesting character in like he might know something in himself but it's like he can't accept it until he's verbalized it like yeah. the thing about being a thief like he knows that yeah. the whole way through like he's struggling with it he knows it but until he says it out loud there's no chance of him accepting it and moving yeah forward. exactly and so now that he has said this I have hope that like this will be something that he has accepted and can move forward with Oh, also the other reason this speech gave
1: me Big Sam vibes was because he literally says the line, I lost someone once. And that just made me think of, I saw someone Someone get get hurt once. (laughs) Except for in this case, it feels like... It's less funny. It's it's less funny because it's like, it's actually a really accurate and poignant way to put it. Like, it it doesn't feel like underselling it.
0: Yeah. It's also not like within a month of it happening.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, while we're talking about about big emotional speeches, do you have the bandwidth to now discuss the Elliot Parker speeches? Let's dive right in. Let's dive right in. So I think the first interesting point they really make in this episode is, I think there's two really key interesting points here, mm-hmm. and that is that... Parker has gotten to the point in her character development that she just wants to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Like, and she is very emotional about it and she's very sort of determined to do the right thing. And she's sort of using Nate, Sophie, and Hardison as, like, sort of her base point for what the right thing is. Like a moral compass. Like her moral compass. Like she's sort of, she's looking at what they're doing and she's trying to think, what would they do in this situation because they would do the right thing?
0: Yeah, it's like WWBD, what would Buffy do? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think the other really important thing in this scene is the fact that Elliot purposefully draws parallels between himself and Parker. Yeah. He very purposefully says, look, it's good it was us because they would have basically froze to death trying to get him back to his wife. And that's not
0: helpful or productive for anyone. I think that it's really, really interesting coming off the back of the end of last season where Parker directly asks him, what did you do? And he tells her, don't ask me, I will tell you and I do not want you to know kind of thing. Yeah. you know, I think that it was really like, really lovely to have this scene with them where they get to be upfront about the fact that they are able to have more distance from these things than everyone else. Elliot, because he has had to train himself. Because obviously he was a hitman, you know, like he has to have a certain level of professionalism about death and, you know, has to be able to distance himself from a body and not look at it as a person who has died, but just look at it as an object, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas Parker clearly has sort of struggled with empathy Mm -hmm. through the whole series. We've we've seen this and not quite understanding, you know, why a person might be upset about something. And this comes into like a lot of her autistic coding that Mm -hmm. we've also talked about a lot. And so it's really, really interesting to have these two characters who have a degree of separation from this scenario for entirely different reasons. But being able to recognize in each other this thing and understand that that does not make them bad or wrong or like, I think, where's the line? I did actually write it down. It makes us us exactly that's what i was just looking for parker said does that make us bad and elliot says it makes us us and i think that that is such an important thing and i don't think any other character other than elliot could have said that to no. parker and even if they had it would not have held the same weight no because elliot understands this better than the other three ever could mm-hmm. um because he does have that separation and he can understand how you can have that separation and have it not make you worse do you know i don't know how else to explain it am i making sense yeah
1: so and i think it is really lovely summed up in the line that he has which is like you can look at it as a gift or you can look at it as a a curse like it is up to you how you see it but at the end of the day we are the same Mm. and that is a good thing in this scenario yeah i also just want to point out this is something to keep in the back of your mind for the rest of the season Mm -hmm. so this is something that we will get more on this is this is not going to be, like, a one-and... Like, you know how sometimes with Parker's character development, it's like, oh, we're going to get...
0: We're going to show that she blew up her parents, then we're literally
1: never going to talk about yeah. it again? Yeah. <laughs> um And, like, there's other things where it's, like, we we get, like, like the boost job, we get a lot of backstory about Parker, um and we'll touch on it very, very briefly moving forward, but it's not something that we're really, truly going to explore. Mm. This is a conversation that we will revisit. This is okay. a conversation that will be super relevant to the rest of the season moving forward. Okay. So this is something really interesting to keep in the back of your mind as we're moving through the season.
2: Mm. All
1: right. And that's not a spoiler. That's just like a general – because I think this is the sort of thing that you like to track. Mm -hmm. So I think it's worth pointing out that this will be a thing that's worth to
0: track. No. I have a couple other bits I want to talk about actually in this particular moment for Parker and Elliot. Number one, I've really enjoyed that when Parker says, like, he's coming with us, like, no, I want to take him with us. I like that Elliot is immediately on board. Like he looks at mm-hmm. her and he's like, "All right, sure. Like if that's if you want to do that, absolutely I'll help you do that." He would have just I'll left. point out how that could be a detrimental idea, but I'm not going to like say no. Yeah, exactly. I really like that that happened. I also really think that it is worth discussing. I I mentioned a moment ago that that Parker often has issues like empathizing, mm-hmm. right? But that's not always the case. We see her empathize Very, very strongly with With children. With children, (laughs) with situations she can personally identify with, Mm -hmm. right? And so when we see her in the boost job, we see her identify with, I forget the name of the girl. Josie. Josie. was a child. Yes. <laughs> who was in a very specifically similar situation mm-hmm. to Parker. We see her really heavily empathised with the children in the stalk job, you know, and we have these moments where she is, like, seeing these people and she's seeing herself reflected back to her and that is when she's able to empathise and understand, you know, their perspective, mm-hmm. right? In this moment, she highlights the fact that this guy died alone, and isolated and this is the moment where she gets really upset like she looks at him and she goes he died here like he died in here and he was alone i also want to for the sake
1: of this conversation call your attention to a conversation we've had between parker and tara at the end of season two Mm -hmm. where parker says no one dies in the vents they'd fall break their leg and then it's like a long metal coffin with wind yeah so Dying in this way is something that Parker has... It's a possibility. Yeah, like, it's something that Parker has thought of. Like, mm-hmm. that, it is a potential outcome that she has emotionally prepared for. Yeah. Because there is a chance if she's breaking into a building and she falls and breaks her leg in, like, an elevator shaft or something, mm-hmm. there is a chance that she's going to die at the bottom of an elevator shaft alone.
0: Yeah. And I think that it is particularly interesting... For Parker in this context, because yes, she's looking at something that could possibly, like, she has thought of as her own ending as a possibility before. But also, the bit for me is that she highlights that he was alone. And throughout this whole episode, you have Hardison really trying to connect with Parker and, like, tell her that he's concerned and, like, wants to watch her and, like, make sure she's okay. And clearly something happened at the end of, like, last season to now. Like, we've, missed, we've missed something. Like, something has happened off screen, yeah. basically. And, like, I don't have a problem with that at all. I think it's actually quite nice. You know, we have the mentioned pretzels and then you're like, oh, okay, something's going to happen. And then yeah. something has clearly happened. It doesn't really matter what. And we
1: know there's been just under a two-week break because at the start of the episode, Elliot's pissy. He's like, no, we needed to take a two-week break exactly. after San Lorenzo. So we know it's probably been somewhere around the week,
0: week and a half. sort of Ten break, days kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we know something has happened somewhere with yeah. those two. It's interesting to me that through the episode, like, he keeps, like, trying to, like, give her a hug or whatever, and she brushes him off every time, and then at the very end, once she's had that experience, she fully gives him the biggest hug we've (laughs) basically ever seen Parker give, except maybe, um, oh god, what was the, was it Sophie that she hugged? She hugged someone. Was it when Sophie came back? It might have been when Sophie came, yes, because Sophie has the lion Parker
1: hugging now. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. You know, so other than that, we haven't really seen...
1: The only other notable Parker hug I think we've seen to date mm-hmm. is at the end of the 12-step job when she's hopped up on
0: yes, anti-psychotics. yes. I knew And she th- literally, like,
1: launches herself at Elliot.
0: Yeah. So in this particular instance, like, I think that it's really hit her, like, she doesn't want to, one, die in that sort of position but she really doesn't want to be alone anymore yeah like she has been alone for so 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 long she's been alone out of necessity mm -hmm.
1: and By choice, because she couldn't risk losing somebody else she cared about after the trauma of losing her brother.
0: Yeah. And also she couldn't afford the attachment because it opens you up to a vulnerability, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that something about seeing Alan in that position Mm -hmm. and seeing her own potential future reflected back at her, I think that's why it hit her so hard. Yeah. And I think that's why she was so determined to get him back because she wanted to make sure he wasn't alone. And I think that's why it's also really interesting
1: that the plot twist at the end of the episode is not only did the mark of the week do a whole bunch of dodgy shit with the company and like try to make sure that Alan couldn't expose him for the dodgy shit he was doing. He literally murdered him to keep a secret. Mm-hmm. This was meant to be a team member that Alan Scott could rely on,
0: mm-hmm. and he fully cut his rope. Mm, yeah, I really fucking hope that's not foreshadowing. I really, really hope like it's just occurred to me now, and I really hope it's not foreshadowing because I don't think my heart could handle that. Oh, and now I'm picturing scenarios. Jamie, stop picturing scenarios no. first and foremost. Oh fuck. This is
1: my happy blurbo show. Now think what they're gonna do to
0: you. Oh, I'm picturing scenarios. Uh, okay, I need to stop. I need to stop. I need to stop. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this into Sonic okay. silly because I need to not think about yeah. that. Okay. Um. Okay. I do wanna make a couple of notes about the scene with uh Parker and Elliot in the cave. Now, obviously, a lot of what happens in these moments are very intense and genuine and sincere and vulnerable and whatnot. However, I do think there are a couple of funny things. Number one. Parker flashing the light in Ellie's eyes. Yeah. Very fun. I did love that. Such little sibling energy. Mm-hmm. Beautiful peak. Mm-hmm. Second of all, when they were approaching Alan's body, I was like, wow, this 100% feels like the opening to an episode of Bones. Like, you could just put that at the beginning of an episode of Bones and it would make total sense. Number three. Now actually three and four really okay both parker and elliot say things in this scene where i'm like i understand that this is supposed to highlight the severity and like be an intense line however something about it just screams comedy to me and one of them is when elliot looks at the snapped rope and goes rope snapped and i'm like oh really babe? really Um, But the other one is the very tragic line where Parker says, he died in here. And I was like, no, babe, he died in the Caribbean. (laughs) Like, fucking obviously. (laughs) Like, and I realise that these are very, like, intense moments. But I think that's part of why I found them so funny. Because I was, like, emotionally invested and they just say these things. And I'm like, nah, he's just here for fun. (laughs) Like, yes, obviously he died in here. He wasn't moved here post-death, you know. So... It's just silly. I recognise that they're not funny moments, but I did laugh.
1: Yeah. And also, like, sometimes people just say things that are obvious. Like...
0: Oh, yeah. This yeah. is not really... No, it's not really it's a, not criticism. Like a
1: It's not like, oh, my God, that
0: writing was so unrealistic. It's just like, oh, yeah, fucking state the obvious, dude. Yeah. I just think that if I had been present in that scene as myself, the words no shit sherlock would have been said (laughs) which we like (laughs) we do get some
1: peak euphemisms in this episode i just really love the fact that we get the line a man's not a camel give me a drink which is very australian and i do love
0: that Mm, i'm gonna be real i don't really understand what it means
1: you've never heard that before
0: no (laughs) fake australian right here (laughs)
1: It's it's basically just being like, well, you know, like because obviously camels don't drink a lot of water. They
0: like drink water and then they oh. store it for a long time. So a man's not a camel. Okay. Get a man a drink. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That makes so much sense. I was really confused about the whole camel thing. I was like, this is a mountain, there are no camels. <laughs> um And we I'm, also just get the fuck off as they're dragging him. Yeah! Out. I was like, did he just say
1: fuck? I, I don't know if it's actually fuck, but it sounds a lot It like sounds that. like fuck. And he's
0: an Australian, so it makes sense. Right? I was like, I literally was like, did he just say fuck off? That is so fucking funny. But I also wanted to note, the Australian accent fully jump scared me. I was so confused. I was like, I have a note, and it is literally just, is that an Australian accent with a number of question marks after it? Because I was like, wait, what? I swear I just heard an Australian. And it is... A, I don't know if people in other countries, like, get this. But, like, you know, when you're speaking to someone, you know, where you live. And you don't really notice the accent. Because, like, you're just surrounded by people who sound the same as you. Yeah. So, quick question. Do you notice our Australian accent? Yeah. That, actually, I would love to know. Like, but... Because we don't. Here's the thing. If I'm watching television, right, most mm-hmm. of our media is imported from the US. Yeah. You know? Including leverage. Including leverage. <laughs> including <laughs> supernatural. Yeah. You know. So, I watch it. And I don't recognise most of the characters as, like, having an accent because I'm so used to everyone on my television screen sounding American, right? So as soon as there is someone who has particularly an Australian accent, because it's one that I will recognise very easily, the Australian accent sounds bizarre. It sounds so out of place. It sounds so strong as well. Yeah. I swear to God, our Australian accent's not that strong. Right? And I'm listening to it and I'm like... That's not what we sound like, is it? But then I'm like, no, it de- like I recognize it. That has yeah. to be what. But in context-
1: and like, it's a good Australian accent. Like it sounds yeah. like it doesn't sound like you know. Sometimes it errs too close to like Kiwi or maybe British. Yeah, like it actually genuinely does sound like an Australian. It's pretty accent. good.
0: Yeah. It was- and I don't actually know if the guy was Australian. I have yeah. no idea. Likely not. But you know, it's so weird though hearing the Australian accent actually mingled in with the American accents mm-hmm. because you're like, oh wow, that's actually real different. It's also really funny because in this episode, we also get a we
1: just get a whole bunch of accents. Oh my god! Because yes.
0: like, Bellman is. Fucking
1: flawless. She's so good. But we get, like, the German accent and we get Mm -hmm. the Japanese accent and we get the American accent, obviously, because the team's American. Yeah. And then you get the Australian accent. And the Australian accent is the one that stands
0: out. out. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's just because we're Australian. Australian, So we're noticing it. But, yeah, for me, for some reason, something about the Aussie accent, like... And I don't know if it's just because it's my own accent that I'm hearing repeated back to me in a way that I wouldn't normally. Like, if I'm watching, like, Australian reality TV or something, I don't notice the accent. If I'm watching, like, you know, American media, I don't notice the American accent. But if I see an American on an Australian reality TV show or an Australian accent in American media... Fucking throws me every time. Mm -hmm. It's bizarre to me. I'm like, no, those things don't mix. It's like oil and water. I'm like, what are you doing? There's something wrong though. I'm like, it really throws me for a loop. So I'm interested, like, is it, like, is that just me? Or do other people find that, like, when they're watching media, if they have their own accent come up, do you find it jarring? Mm. I suppose. Because I do. Every time it distracts me.
1: Yeah. Okay, while we're on some slightly more lighthearted moments, mm-hmm. I just want to, like, we've already talked about Hardison. I just want to return to him for a moment because I love him more than anything. I love the fact that he's like, oh, I, I should go with you. And Parker's like, you want to climb a fucking mountain, mate? Like, are you. And then <laughs> the immediately, like, cuts to the Hardison's greatest flops. Like, they're like, it is time to roast this man for mm-hmm. not being able to climb a building. Yeah. Iconic. And then we also get the incredible scene at the end of the episode where Parker's going, You know, this isn't gonna be normal. And Hardison goes, My nana says that normal's whatever works for you. Which and, I think is so nice, which actually. Which is so cute. And then you immediately have Parker going, I should meet your Nana. And he starts to agree, like, Yeah, yeah, you should meet my nana. She's really nice. Oh, wait, what the fuck We're meeting the family now? Yeah. Like, I I love it. It's so funny because like Parker was the one to go really 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 slow. but now they've reached this point she's Parker's made like a decision. Organ. yeah she's not half asking this no like, and I am obsessed with it. She's taken her time to think about it and now she's ready to meet his grandmother mm-hmm. <laughs> As I said last season you asked me something and you said that you just assumed Nana was dead. it's the supernatural coding of you. yes. Nana's not dead. we get confirmation here. Mm-hmm. she she's not dead.
0: and I love that. I love yeah. when the matriarch isn't
1: dead. Yeah, I see it so rarely. Yeah, So, so you, you were like, I don't know, and here we go. We have confirmation. I'm assuming if Nana was dead, Hardison would have said something here.
0: Probably. Yeah. Like, sorry, it's not possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love Hardison this episode. I love his description of a mountain, which is a danger cupcake with murder icing. I love the
1: fact, though, that we get that it's an immediate cut. It's Ellie going, exactly how dangerous is this job that you took on without consulting us? Mm-hmm. Immediate cut. To go, Houdison going, it's a danger cupcake with murder icing. Beautiful.
0: Chef's kiss. Iconic. So good. Speaking of chefs, we get Chef Elliot again this episode. In the apron? In the apron. Oh my. Also, has he done something with his hair? It seems less straight this season. No, and I, I, I don't mean in terms aches. of sexuality. I mean, like, in terms of genuinely, like, his hair doesn't seem like... That's like it's straight. Yeah. Like, it seems more fluffy.
1: It's just symbolic of him no longer having to think that maybe he might run
0: into Moreau one day. Mmm, he's, oh my god, he's letting his hair down. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I love that. No, but I just noticed it was really distracting actually. I was like trying to figure out what was different yeah. <laughs> while he was talking to Sophie. I think it is
1: slightly different, but it's like,
0: I mean, it's between seasons. Yeah. Like, it's not like characters don't change their hair. Oh, while we're on this end of the episode, fucking Sophie and Nate. And I, they literally had sex. Mm-hmm. They can't hold a conversation. What is wrong with them? What is? How are Parker and Hardison having a more emotionally and intellectually stable progression of their relationship than fucking Nate and Sophie? Actually, do you know what? As I say that out loud, it makes a lot of sense. Actually, because both Just Nate and Sophie, Sophie are mess. emotionally fucked. <laughs> yeah, they're both. They're both a mess. <laughs> oh god, they are a fucking hot mess. Yeah, they are. I. Uh, mm, oh my god, like. Sophie literally asks him to call her by her real name. And Nate, in a move that prevents me from learning Sophie's real name, which I find personally offensive, says no. Because he thinks it'll be suspicious. Do you know what else is suspicious, you guys? Going off to have a private conversation, very obviously, in front of the three people you're trying to convince you don't have anything suspicious going on with. What is your problem? They are both so unsubtle. They're a fucking mess. Yeah, it's like they this put, is worse than season one. They put all of their energy
1: into, like, holding it together for the cons itself. Mm-hmm. That as soon as they're no longer on the
0: con, it's, like, fucking... Which, I have questions about this, because, like, I assumed, right? Like, mm-hmm. I said to you at the end of season three, I was like, oh, yeah, like, this just feels like a natural progression. Like, yeah. it seems like they've been doing you, this you for You made ages. the
1: joke, like, you know, this season they get married, next season they have kids and retire. Yeah, like, exactly. Like,
0: yeah. Obviously. I just kind of fucking assumed that they would just be together now. And now they seem to be more confused about what... I'm like, guys, guys, what do you mean? (laughs) They're a mess. Yeah, but fuck. Like, come on. (laughs) They're a mess. It's just... It's literally... It's so confusing to me, personally. Because... What... Like, what... I... What? I just don't understand. Like, here's my question. Are they still fucking? Was this a one-time only thing? I think it's, or I they think it's seven motivation motivation a one,
1: one-time only thing.
0: Okay, see, that's why I'm confused. they said it wasn't a
1: mistake. It just never happened. We're just going to
0: pretend like oh, it never happened. Oh, they're so <laughs> annoying. Uh, they're they're just,
1: so annoying. You know, the team's in a good place right now. We don't want to mess with the dynamics. We're just going to
0: pretend it never happened. That's not gonna work, you guys. This is like actually Nate saying earlier in the episode, talking about how you're emotionally evolved, at leads to bad decisions, and Hardison calls him out on it. I'm like, yeah, Hardison, fucking like, call him out. Yeah, because Hardison's literally like, did you just say that with a fucking straight face mm-hmm. And the number of fucking times that we have seen Sophie use the facts that two people are sleeping together against, against them, <laughs> and now they're fucking out here like you guys are (laughs) oh they're so dumb they are very dumb it's so annoying yeah like don't get me wrong i love the drama i live for the drama but also like fuck guys come on you've seen each other naked you can have a conversation you can just speak to each other you can call each other by your first fucking names i am yeah look i am so excited for you to see what they'd go (laughs) for i'm excited to see what happens because right now i'm very confused And I also love the idea that they seem to think that their interest in each other is just, like, no one has any idea. They're they're real subtle about it. They really think that no one knows. Like, you think that Elliot can tell a person's nationality from their fucking footprint in the snow? Didn't notice Sophie in that bed? Like, you fucking are trying to tell me that Elliot, it's a very distinctive footprint, didn't fucking see the second body in that fucking bed. You're trying to tell ta- no, no. Elliot knows what's up. And you can fight me on that. I don't care if we ever find out in Canada or whatever. That is my truth.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. It's an episode. It's it's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy it. I just Sophie in this episode is fucking and and, a fucking icon. <laughs> Nate's a fucking idiot. Nate's a fucking idiot. But at least he's slightly more emotionally mature than he has ever been previously. So uh, pros and cons, pros and cons. Um, but we do need to talk about Sophie mm-hmm. and the fact that she literally uses the same fucking move on both the Mark and on Nate. Yeah, and it is so fucking funny to me because we do get the iconic scene where she introduces herself to Drexel for the second time. Yeah, and goes, "You don't have my number, really? Oh, Mina, you tired <sighs> me. the buttons are too small." <laughs> fucking hilarious uh-huh. immediately cut well not immediately cut but then at the end of the episode we get the conversation between sophie and elliot where elliot's like i've never seen you use that opening before and she's like it's about judging like whether the sort of person to forget and she's like they start to stammer, they start to wave their hands da, 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 da. these are all the things they do cut to the conversation that she has with nate and he's doing all of the things she just described impeccable absolutely impeccable it's
0: beautiful it is
1: chef's kiss she is so good i love her i love the fact that they have the conversation where nate's like so i said simple stool and you heard high finance feeding friendly," and she's like it's the same fucking thing (laughs) like if you like what are these two photos they're the same fucking photo like she's like yeah no absolutely they are the same thing there is no difference here. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I think what's really fun is it's, like, the whole concept, again, of, like, if you think that, like, if you find a task simple simple to perform and you're put under pressure, you'll perform it better than normal. And, like, for Sophie, this is, a, like, it's not a simple task. No. But it's also not a complex task. Like, she's essentially running very, like, micro cons. Mm. Like, the individual cons that she's running are very simple and easy for her to run. The complexity comes from the fact that she's running them simultaneously in one room yeah. with, like, four different fucking aliases. And she's crazy. I love her. Like, Karen in this episode says she's kind of scary. And I'm like, yes. And we love to see. And it, we also
1: Karen. get Nate's acknowledgement of, you don't even know. Mm-hmm. Like, She's fucking scarier than this. You don't you if you think this is Sophie being scary, just you wait. Yeah. I'm
0: scared.
1: (laughs) I love Sophie. I maintain Sophie for me is the scariest member of the team. Like, and mind you, that has Elliot literally has murdered people Spencer on the list. Like
0: I think that the difference is that Sophie could con me and I'd probably thank her for it. You know, because I wouldn't know. I think that's the buy energy in you. you. Do you know what? That's fair, actually. But, like, I kind of stand by it, you know, because she convinces you to do things for her, and she, like, convinces you that you're doing it of your own volition and, like, all this stuff. Like, she could convince you to turn off all the security systems and open the vault, and she's taking the art, and you're like, thank you so much for doing me this service, you know? Like, she's she's that good, she's freaky, Mm. but in a very impressive way. I don't know where I'm going with this. I think that... Four AM starts really starting to hit me, which is concerning. Considering the other podcast episode we're yet to record this morning,
1: I do just love the like. It's not a comedy bit, but it is one hundred
0: percent a comedy bit of Hardison
1: sitting there going, Nate Elliot Parker, Nate Elliot Parker, mm-hmm. and Sophie being like, Stop "Shut fucking up. up, fucking shut!" And he's like, "I am restraining from freaking out, quite admirably." Like, yeah, which.
0: You can't blame him because, like, they have all just dropped off of comms. Like, mm-hmm. I also, I know we've already talked about partisan but I want to just quickly mention the moment where Hardison is talking about, like, oh, I should come with you and, like, watch out or whatever. And Parker says, this isn't going to be a thing, mm-hmm. is it? And I kind of like that because I recognize why he's saying it. Yeah. But I also appreciate that she's like, mm, you don't have to watch me. Like, I am very competent and capable yeah. and you don't need to, like, you're not going to help. Yeah. Like, this is not your strong suit. Like, you
1: climbing would actually be more of a danger to me than yeah. me
0: going just with Elliot. Yeah. And, like, I understand, like, that he's doing the whole, like, oh, I'm worried about you because I'm emotionally invested in this. And she, I like that she gets the opportunity to be like, yeah, but, like, you don't actually get to worry about me being, like, this is my professional best. Yeah. Like, this is what I specialize in. You literally don't have to worry about me in this scenario. And, like, I understand the emotional, like, you know, ties. But I appreciate that she gets to say something and be like, "Mm," you know.
1: Oh, I realized when we were talking earlier about um, Elliot and Parker, we didn't even mention the fact that then the end of the episode circles right back around to, you did it. You brought him back to her. Mm -hmm. Because it's, like, that sort of, like, lovely idea that, It wasn't about bringing
0: the body back. It was about... Closure. Closure. Also, this is just a side note, but poor Karen. Like, Mm -hmm. she should not have been seeing that for the first time in a room full of people that included the dude who killed her husband. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, like, that's such, like, a vulnerable position to be in. And, like, obviously the scene is... Like, and as it plays out, it
1: wasn't, like... An intentional thing. No, Like, it was was just the way it happened because, obviously, not ideal circumstances. Mm. But, like... It
0: did get me teary, though. mm. Like, I was, like, pretty close to crying. And then, like, the Parker Hardison hug, like, almost got me. Mm. It really did. Like, they were sitting there. They didn't fall. No. But they were sitting there (laughs) right on the edge of the lids. (laughs) I
1: am really excited that we're going into season four. Because season four, for me, like, I don't know if you can tell by the season opener... The season opener is by far the most emotional season opener we've had so far.
0: Oh, yeah. this I was not expecting this energy from this episode.
1: No. Yeah. Season openers are typically light. They're typically fun. Yeah, they're, they're like f- a reintroduction back to the team. Team and, like, sort of a recap of where they're up to and what's sort of happening. So... This is a really nice reflection of sort of what they're planning on doing with this season. Mm. This sort of energy is obviously it's leverage. It's not going to be every episode, but we do have some really important episodes emotionally coming up where we will check in with the characters and their emotional state and how they're tracking sort of emotionally and mentally Mm. with this because it is – I'm pretty sure that when they were filming season four, they were pretty convinced that season four was going to be their last season. I can see that
0: like having only watched one episode I can see that because this is way like we've obviously dealt with the characters going through like personal arcs and stuff but like I was saying there are so many individual plots happening in this episode and normally Leverage is chock-a-block full of plot but not in this way this is full of character arc plot yes not like plot plot and every single character has already started their season-long character arc mm. and it's weird like not in a bad way it's just not what i was expecting out of leverage especially not a season opener yeah. normally we have episodes of leverage that have really heavily leaned into one character or maybe two characters yeah. if it's like a sophie nate or like parker yeah. hardison or like you know that kind of thing this episode was like every single character had really significant beats and it was kind of jarring honestly not again in necessarily a bad way but just like it is not what i expected Mm. especially from a season opener because like we were saying usually they're pretty upbeat and pretty like whoa we're back from vacay like kind of thing like if you think of the
1: pilot it's just like chock-a-block full of things establishing characters that sort of stuff um, you look at the second season start it's that mob case like you get some really great aliases you get introduced to the new setting that they're undertaking you get some more minor sort of plot lines started picking up like we hear about we learn about a little bit about jimmy ford that sort of stuff so it's about them getting back into being a team season three is about getting Nate out of jail so like this is the first time when it's really
0: like it's really harsh, like, a character focus. Yeah. Do you know what's really funny about that is that I fully guessed almost every single thing in the plot of this episode. Mm. And I think that the reason I say that that's interesting is because normally I can't do that with leverage. Normally – and I'm typically pretty okay yeah. at picking up, like, plots and stuff – I find leverage just so much is happening all the time always that, like, it's very difficult to pick up on what is not isn't important. It's also
1: very easy to miss some of the more subtle things. Like, if you actually look at the scene where the Russian pops out out of the snow Mm -hmm. and holds Parker at gunpoint, and you have a moment where they're sort of shooting so that you can see Elliot in the back of the Russian and Parker, you Mm -hmm. can actually see her hand move as she slips the phone into his pocket. Yeah, genius move, by the way. You can see it, but it's also so, it's like at the bottom left hand corner of the screen. Like, if you were not actually watching it mm-hmm. you're not gonna
0: spot it like you're just not yeah but like even like this episode like i'm gonna read you just some of the notes that i took as i was watching yeah so hardison highlighted a couple of times like you know there's this line once you get below this line like yeah. you know we have we're back on yeah. kind of thing and i'm like oh okay so they they just have to get the info below the line and then they're golden yeah. basically so i had that from way back at the beginning of the episode, you know, I had, they're trying to find the the body and they're like, it's not here. I'm like, well, it's either under the snow. And then I was like, oh, mm, or there's like a hidden cave. And then I was like, oh, are they going to fall? Literally, I showed you because you happened to arrive while we were watching that scene. Like, I was halfway through typing, are they going to fall as the ice collapsed and they fell, you know? And then my next note is, I think he got murdered, you know? And then the next message will obviously be essential, you know? And- Like, all of these things, like, the book has nothing, it's all on the phone. Like, all of this stuff is... And it's not necessarily that the book had nothing, it's that the evidence on the phone was enough
1: that they didn't didn't actually need need the notebook.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so all of the plot stuff in this episode I found really, really easy to predict because that wasn't the point of the episode. Whereas a lot of the time with Leverage, the point is, like, that they're taking down the bad guy and you have bits of character development alongside. This episode was for all of the characters to be Set up for their major developments this season Mm -hmm. with a plot kind of around it. Yeah. You know? And so it's interesting to see where they put the emphasis and the focus on this episode and where they put the intricacies. Because the intricacies of this episode was not in the con. No. The intricacies were all within the character dynamics. Mm -hmm. And the plot, like the con that they were running, was actually very, very simple to understand. Yes. Because they weren't really running a con. Well, no, not really. They were actually running almost a rescue mission. Yeah. But like one that was inevitably doomed to fail sort of thing. Like, it it was very different to what they would normally run as a con yeah. as well, which I think is interesting. Even at the beginning, Nate says, I don't really think I can help you. Yeah, It's not really what they do. No. Which then is really interesting tie-in to Parker saying, well, Nate, Sophie, and Hardison would do it because it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's... Oh, God, there are so many... This episode feels like a spiderweb. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I... It's almost like the Rashomon job. Like, I want to watch it, like, another eight times mm-hmm. to properly see where all of the little bits click in
1: together. This episode is, there is just so much here and I think it's really interesting some of the conversations we've had today. We're going to revisit in like, there's a couple of episodes this season that I can think of that it's going to be really fascinating to revisit them specifically in those episodes. And I am... I'm actually very excited. So I've said this on the podcast before, I'm pretty sure, but if I haven't, it's going to be here for reference as well. I'm a season four girly. Season four is my favorite of the original five series. I think you said that in our season three wrap up, actually. Yeah. So I am so, I'm so like interested and intrigued to see what you think of the season Mm. because personally, I'm thinking of like, there's like, four episodes that I'm thinking of right now in my brain that I'm like, oh yeah, I think Beth's going to love them because we get some more sort of grounded, more sort of like emotional character development moments in those episodes and that's what it sort of centers around rather than centering so heavily around the actual plot itself.
0: Mm. And I am so into that. (laughs) Mm. But we have less of an overarching
1: plot this season. Obviously, we have The Office has been bugged. I think it's also interesting that this is the first time the con isn't sort of being decided by the team. Because hmm. in the first season, obviously, the big bad at the end of the season was IYS Insurance, who denied the claim for Nate's son's treatment. They chose to go after IYS. Second season, the big bad wasn't so much a big bad as just, like, the object that the anger could no longer help Nate beat. Yeah. Um, But they were still the ones who chose to go after the mayor. Mm-hmm. Season three finale, they didn't necessarily choose to go after Moro, but by the end of the season, it was a choice for them to do it. Mm-hmm. This is the first time where it's like, oh no, somebody is actually actively targeting the team. Yeah. And it's very clearly somebody who knows a lot about the team.
0: Do you know what's really funny? Is that even though last season, like, they pointedly had an overarching plot and they set it up. I'm actually more interested in this season's overarching plot from this one scene we've had about it than I was about last season's overarching plot. And I wonder if it is because of that. If it's because it feels like... It's more external to the team. Yes, but it's also, like... I think I mentioned this like, God, seasons ago, like maybe season two where I was saying like, oh yeah, it was because I was talking about Tara. Yeah. And I was like, this, she feels like a threat to my blowboats. Yeah. Yeah. The Italian woman and that whole plot with Moreau didn't, for me, really feel like a big threat to my Blavos. Yeah. They felt like a threat in general. Like, Moreau was obviously doing some bad shit. But ultimately, he felt like any other villain they were taking yeah. down every episode, just kind of, like, more, you know? Yeah. And the Italian woman, she kind of essentially bubbled down to nothing. Like, she yeah. wasn't really a threat to She wasn't to really the an team. ally, but she also
1: wasn't really a threat she didn't want to destroy the team. She wanted to use the team for her own gain.
0: Yeah, right. This, however, feels like a threat to my Blorbos. And I don't like that. So I feel like I'm already more invested in this yeah. than I was in anything to do with the Italian woman on Moreau. Purely because of the motivation. Purely yeah. because this is what I'm invested in. I'm invested in the characters and I'm invested in their dynamics. And if someone externally is threatening that scenario... Yeah. That's what I'm upset about. Like, you put them all in prison, I believe they will all escape. However, you tear those relationships apart, you can't necessarily rebuild those, mm. you know? And so for me, that's more of... And, like, I'm more emotionally invested in that possibility because I'm more scared of that. <laughs> it's been such a process
1: for them to trust each other that yeah. anything that now threatens that trust... Mm -hmm. Instantly more scary than just, like, the threat of them being thrown in prison. Yeah, because I believed that they would get out of that. Yeah. You know? I'm assuming that at some point, basically, all of them have escaped prison.
0: Oh, yeah. I feel like Nate was the last of them to escape prison. (laughs) And none of the rest of them needed help. No. (laughs) Nate needed the other four.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Look, there are so many things that I want to talk about in this episode, and I think if we continue to do that, it is going to be less fun so i think like we should quit while we're ahead i think all of the major points we've covered if you think we've missed anything feel free to message us on the discord we will elaborate with our thoughts if you have anything else that you wanted to ask us about
0: this episode if we keep talking about this i'm gonna start thinking about those scenarios i mentioned earlier and i'm gonna get real sad real quick Mm. so i would like to avoid that please and thank you
1: yeah And look, I would like to repeat now, no one is allowed to talk to Beth about those scenarios she's imagining (laughs) because it will just make her worse. (laughs) You can, however, talk to me about those scenarios because I know what happens.
0: Oh, no. Is there a scenario?
1: I am not allowed to say anything.
0: Jamie, is there a scenario?
1: I am not allowed to say anything. There may be a scenario. There may not be a scenario. There may be like a twist on a scenario. There may be This is torture. There may be a scene that, <laughs> that addresses Parker's concerns about the scenario. Like there w- look, we're getting there. We're I'm awfully like so, close to what I'm thinking
0: of. I'm so scared for my blorbos. I'm so scared for my blorbos. I Oh god, I'm ima- Okay, can okay. I tell you a scenario? Yeah, go for it. I'm imagining a scenario where Parker is stuck in some kind of shaft or some like she's stuck mm-hmm. and she she thinks that that's going to be and I just I feel like like either to save someone else or something like they're gonna have to like cut a rope like because of the because that's the mm-hmm. thing yeah. right or something and Parker's just gonna be stuck there and all I can think is that Hardison is gonna be talking to her on the comms and trying to be like it's gonna be okay whatever she's gonna be like no like this is it like it's fine like blah 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 like that's the scenario I'm seeing and it's making me want to cry Jamie <laughs> I I need
1: I. I <laughs> I'm, I'm not allowed to say anything. I know. I, I think, like, I I'm just making want to be it worse clear. for myself. <laughs> You're making it worse for yourself, but look, oh, I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed to say anything. I I can't
0: look. This is making me nervous. We're we're
1: getting close to this. Like, we're we're
0: two seasons away from finishing the show. I thought you were going to say we're two seasons away from the scenario, and I was going to be like, "Excuse me." <laughs> that oh. plot twist,
1: that's the season finale. Oh my
0: God. It, it ends on a cliffhanger. Parker's just down a fucking elevator shaft, and we never find out if she escapes. Yeah. She's so. Uh, mm. Yeah, that, that's
1: exactly what happens when we predicted the season five. That would literally.
0: <laughs> it's still a better ending than Supernatural. <laughs> anyway. Oh my god, no. I can't leave the cascaded character alone in a hole. <laughs> to save someone else, I can't do that. What am I saying? <laughs> That literally is the supernatural ending.
1: Oh god. Look, not to encourage this thinking. No. But to c- encourage this thinking. Ah. Would it be better or worse if somebody else was stuck with him at the bottom of the elevator shaft?
0: It depends on who and if they chose to be there. <laughs> oh. oh okay, but here's the thing about this, right? What's his fucking name? Who was who like adopted her and taught her how to pick pockets better? Archie, Archie. Thank you. For some reason, I always think Charlie. Yeah, you always you always say why. Charlie, and I
1: always edit it out. And I is, always know. for the podcast,
0: <laughs> just for reference. Every
1: time she ever says Archie, she's actually said Charlie first, and I've corrected her
0: every fucking time. For some reason, he just screams Charlie to me. But no, fucking like oh, Because he's like a <laughs> deadbeat dad from Twilight. <laughs> How dare you call Charlie from Twilight a deadbeat dad? He's the only person who's making any rational decisions in that entire franchise. Anyway <laughs> sorry not to go on a Twilight tangent on the leverage podcast usually reserve that for supernatural. but here's the thing. because that whole episode where we're introduced to Archie, we have Parker being like, no, I'm gonna choose to stay and put myself in danger to do the right thing. And we just had this episode and Jamie, I am not prepared because I Ar- because Archie would not have stayed with Parker. But do you know who would? Literally anyone on the team. But Mm -hmm. specifically, Hardison would. And specifically, actually... Specifically, Nate, Nate was who I was thinking
1: mm.
0: because we called him the Bobby equivalent. Yeah, which is so fucking whack. But, no, he's, like, the Archie, like, you know, he's the 180 of Archie. Yeah. Yeah, like, and I just, like, Nate choosing to stay with Parker would destroy me because of so many parallels, but, like, also because of that whole fucking thing where I was so mad about Archie not being like, you are real family because Nate, like, would be like, no, I'm not leaving you. You're my family. Like. Yeah. You're, I, mm, Jamie, I'm making myself sad. Okay. Well,
1: thank you so much for listening. I think that's all that we wanted to say about this episode. Beth's currently spiraling into an existential crisis. So we're hanging on.
0: We haven't had a Beth crisis in a while. No.
1: How would you rate the long way job? The long way job. How would you rate the long way down job out
0: of five? I'm going to say something that might be controversial. Mm. My gut instinct was to give it a three. Mm -hmm. I personally, obviously this episode gives us a lot. Yes. However, I don't think the actual quality of the execution of the episode was as enjoyable to watch yeah. as some other episodes have been. Mm-hmm. So maybe I might bump it to a 3.5 yes. purely for the fact that we get so much interesting character stuff mm-hmm. and I think that it's a really interesting setup for the season which feels different to the other seasons. Yeah, But I don't think that this episode of television was actually as enjoyable to watch as a lot of the previous episodes yeah. have been. So I'm going to dock it a little bit purely for, like, entertainment value mm-hmm. It's not one I would go back and rewatch for the sake of enjoying a piece of media. It's one I would go back and watch for the purpose of analyzing it, which is part of how I enjoy my media. Yeah. But, like, you know, it's not one I would watch casually. It's not one yeah. I'd be like, oh, do you want know to be a fun episode of Leverage to revisit? Yeah. It's one I would go back to specifically to be like, oh, let's think about the characters and, you, like, you write some actually- meta. Personally, for me, I only
1: ever go back to this episode of Leverage when I want to be emotionally devastated. Like, mm.
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: that's the purpose of this media. Yeah. Emotional devastation. And I think we have some more effective emotionally devastating episodes coming up for the second half of the season. So
0: Wonderful. I look forward look, to crying. I'll accept a 3.5. When you said 3, I was like, mm, that feels like a little low. I enjoyed it thinking of it now retrospectively on discussion yeah i i enjoy the discussion we've had of it Mm. and the in-depth look at character stuff that we get but as an episode on a whole Mm. i thought it was less enjoyable than a lot of previous episodes
1: primarily i thought it was a little low because you typically you're like i want more character stuff i'm like here's Mm. Here's 40 minutes of character stuff. Yeah.
0: And Enjoy. Normal, normally I'd be frothing. Yeah. But, like, I think that I've gotten so used to leverage having such, like, in like interesting and intricate plot yeah. lines that, like, this just feels kind of jarring and yeah. just not as generally entertaining. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel as cohesive, I suppose, because I think we're just jumping very quickly between a lot of heavy, intense stuff. Mm. And so the, the plot that, of the whole mountain thing doesn't feel like it fits that great yeah it feels like i don't know if it's just like the wrong not the wrong tone but like the setting something about it is just jarring for me not quite sitting right yeah Yeah. so it's something about it just isn't quite gelling and i like don't be wrong i don't think it's a bad episode i think it's quite really interesting i just don't think it has the entertainment value of a lot of the other ones you know that's
1: okay the next episode is called the 10 little grifters job what do you think that's about Oh my god! Okay, number
0: one, I love that title. That is so cute. It makes me think of Santa and his elves, except mm-hmm. that Santa is Sophie, and I don't know who the elves are. But oh my god! Actually, do you know what it, do you know what it makes me think of? So I think I mentioned recently, like, Naomi and I've been rewatching Parks and Recreation, mm-hmm. Johnny Karate and his little ninjas. <laughs> that is exactly what I'm imagining. But Sophie is Johnny Karate. The ninjas are ten people. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, I'm just imagining Sophie's like a ringleader yeah. with like 10 little mm-hmm. minions. And I I love that for her. I'm, I so where's she even recruiting him from? Is she like running an acting class or something? Like, oh, <laughs> learn how to grift in 10 easy steps. Like. <laughs> Wiki how. Um, oh, God, I don't know. I do think it would be fun if, like, they decided, like, for a particular con, they needed, like, a bunch of extras. Yeah. And so they just hired some, like, down on their, like, actors or maybe, like, an improv group. Yeah. You know, and they were like, hey, we're gonna... Here's a scene you're gonna play, like, a flash mob Yeah, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's a yeah. very intricate, elaborately planned flash mm-hmm. mob. Yeah. I feel like that could be very fun. I also think it's highly unlikely... Mm. You know, I think that's about as likely as it being about sustainable fish farming, which at the moment I'm finding it. It could be about about, sustainable fish farming. It could be. (laughs) Um, yes, no, I have I have no idea. I have no idea. I really I think I was thinking of Santa on his elves because of Sophie's line this episode about Grift Christmas. Mm. But yeah, it'll be It'll be a fun episode to talk about, I think. I'm looking forward to seeing what the fuck it's about because the title does intrigue me. Mm. It's kind of different to our normal leverage titles. Yeah. Like, it's somehow more and less specific. Yeah. You know? Oh my god, we get Tara back? I'm not allowed to tell you that. Okay. Well, I'm really excited about that possibility that just occurred to me because maybe... Oh, Okay 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 maybe it's about like a bunch of people who are in the grifting like maybe they're having like Mm. a little grifter reunion scenario Mm. you know like i don't know i don't know it could be anything i've been awake since 4 a.m it's really (laughs) hidden
1: all right lovely well thank you so much for joining us today for the long way down job we've had a blast talking about it we're so glad that you could join us Please join us again next week for the 10 Little Grifters job. If you want to interact with us at all beyond our normal, regularly scheduled releases of this podcast, you're more than welcome to join, like, our Discord or follow us on Twitter or Tumblr. All of our links will be in the link tree in the description. And if you really like us, obviously, like, subscribe to us on Spotify and all of that sort of shit. (laughs) guess I'm one of those people now. I was going to say, like and subscribe. (laughs) Like and subscribe. Rate us on Spotify. Unless you hated us, then please don't. (laughs) If you want to interact with us at all, you're more than welcome to do so about literally
0: anything. But suggested topics of conversation include... Do we think the beanie in this episode counts as a stupid Nate hat?
1: Oh, we didn't even mention the stupid beanie in this episode,
0: but... Do you know what? I, I didn't because I would argue that I don't think it's actually stupid. I think this is one of the first pieces of Nate headwear that I would classify as not stupid. I think it's
1: also just... A case of it's required. Like, it's it's not optional. He's not not choosing to wear a beanie. He has to wear a beanie, otherwise he runs the risk of hypothermia. Exactly.
0: And that's my that's my argument too. But I would be interested to see if other people have thoughts mm, on that.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Yeah. Look, I am just happy for anyone to talk to me about later seasons of leverage because Beth has said some things that make me go, hmm, and I'm not allowed to say anything about them. And I'm putting this here so that it's really non-specific, and Beth doesn't know what I'm talking about when I say things that make you go, hmm. <laughs> but if you've heard what I've heard and you've also connected the same dots, please talk to me about it because i have not allowed to talk to Beth about it yet.
0: Well, keen to see how that plays out.
1: <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for listening. Please enjoy the rest of your morning, evening, afternoon, night, lunch. Brunch, dinner time, tea time, afternoon snack, 11sies, second breakfast, whatever time of the day or night. Thank you so much for spending it with us. Bye. Bye. Oh,
0: boy.